Living Room Logic. Welcome back to another episode of Living Room Logic. And this week we're going to be talking about something very interesting and something which comes up in conversation every now and then, maybe on a drunken night out of who experiences more pain, men or women. But we're going to actually go into the nitty gritty of it and talk about real life experiences of pain syndromes and conditions and things like that. Not just who feels a pinch a bit harder, but who is pain affecting more or who is pain affecting differently. And to do this, I'm very, very happy to be talking to Dr. Siobhan O'Mahony, who is a lecturer of mine from before when before I was doing my PhD back in my ECC days. And it's so, so nice to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm great. This is lovely. I'm so delighted to be here, Andrew. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, it's been on my mind to go back to the old stomping grounds uh, to kind of get get some people who I knew could speak super yeah. well about things that like naturally that I'm so interested in. Just conscious of uh, my own curiosity, we'll kick it off. Could you give some examples of first, I'd say, could you define what we're talking about when we say pain and what we mean when we say like a pain syndrome or a pain condition? That would be great. Yeah, no, no, good, good place to start. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> pain itself is usually a very unpleasant, noxious. So that's kind of not the word noxious means painful or unpleasant experience. Um, so it's a sensory experience. So we have many different types of senses like sight, sound, smell, and pain is one of those sensory, sensory experiences we have. Pain, um, while some people might perceive it as a simplistic, you know, you get hurt, you feel pain. Um, and you know you're in pain, but it's actually a fairly complex scenario because there, with regards to where the nerves go in the brain to allow you to understand your feeling pain, there's also like projections or connections to different parts of the brain that are associated with memory, for example, your emotions and, you know, all other different types of, of feelings that integrate with pain. So it leads to a fairly complex scenario with regards to pain and pain experience. You know, a memory comes in, did you feel it before? Were you upset when you had this type of pain? This makes pain often difficult to treat. So we have lots of different types of pain syndromes. And even if you think, I mean, the everyday lay person will have come across several different types of pain. We've all heard of back pain, for example. Then there's other different types of pain, like pain after surgery. So pain after a kind of a stressful scenario is placed on the body. There is women's specific types of pain. So endometriosis is a painful syndrome associated with women only, for example, because it's associated with uterine tissue. Also, another another kind of more complicated painful situation would be fibromyalgia. So pain itself can be just associated with muscles and musculoskeletal pain, so lower back pain, or else it can be a more complex situation, like I mentioned with the integration of the other brain areas, the the fearful parts, the emotional parts. And this could be associated with a disorder like fibromyalgia. So pain and pain experiences are very much intertwined, not just with the actual sensations, but also how you feel about the pain, how you feel at that time as well. So fibromyalgia is often associated with a stressful kind of um, temperament and so on, because stress really and over-exaggeration or less coping abilities with stress can really define how we feel pain. So this is the type of scenarios that I investigate. I study how, you know, different people perceive pain differently and why they do. And stress is one of those things that leads to changes in whether we develop a pain syndrome or how we actually perceive that pain. 
That sounds extremely complex because mm. if so much of the focus of pain is on the individual perception of the moment or what's happening or anything like that, we all share a human body. We all have individual experiences. And if all of that is coming into play, experiencing pain, tying that into your research must be a bit <laughs> mind blowing in the clinical sense, you know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And within that, um, so you mentioned uh, endometriosis, which is a good example of a yeah. of a pain which is sex specific. But yeah. are there other examples of sex differences within pain, not just in, um, uh, you know, for example, uh, a pain that only male could men could feel, or a pain that only women could feel, but within that perception because obviously there's a ton of individual differences and i'm sure these get intertwined and mixed up and all the time yeah. but is there a sex difference in how we perceive pain there is there is absolutely um so there's a much higher risk of developing pain syndromes for example like fibromyalgia for example and even lower back pain in certain instances in women um so yeah women also i suppose there's a lot of uh, gender bias or sex bias with some disorders. And some of these sex differences are really defined by women presenting. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. At the clinic more often. But with regard to pain syndromes, we do know there's definitely sex-specific differences with regard to development of certain pain syndromes. That can be felt by, by both genders. Um... And a lot of this is has always been thought of, well, women have these fluctuating hormones during their life um, up until they, they develop menopause. But even after menopause as well, because of the decline in hormones, there's still this sex specific differences in how women perceive and develop pain syndromes. Yeah. It's interesting that that is within it. And it must be very hard to tangle whether something is coming down to hormones coursing through the body which may be having something to change your perception or did you mention there uh, women with more likely to have lower back pain yes because, yeah 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 because then that must be very difficult to um di to untangle from let's say um uh having breasts and the fact that they can't you yeah. constantly have to carry that extra weight which is coming yeah. forward because i know a lot of yeah. people who are now experiencing that and looking into breast reduction uh surgeries yeah. for that and yeah. How you disentangle that must be yeah. extremely complicated. And yeah. a lot, a, something which gets thrown around a lot, and I, I will, I'll, I will throw it into the mix is a lot of this pain perception differences. Is it due, is there any science or anything behind actually? Because, well, on a month to month basis, women are more likely to experience and deal with pain. And is there is there some truth in that, or is that just is yeah. that just unscientific? No, 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 not unscientific. Um, and again, this this I suppose it leads to the complex complexity also as well. Is not every woman will experience period pain. 
Um, so not every woman goes through a painful period every month and has to, you know, experience and take uh, pain medication for it at all. So it's not that women are more primed for pain, that this is the reason why we develop more pain syndromes or at higher risk for them. Um, and in actual fact, estrogen itself, which we know is higher in females, is much more anti-nociceptive, so reduces pain. So the conundrum here is how, if women have more estrogen, why are we more at risk for developing pain? Um, I've mentioned, I suppose, the diffuse areas of the brain that are really kind of make the pain system or pain, pain sensation more complex, like the amygdala, which is associated with fear, for example, the anterior cingular cortex, which is here, which is associated with the affective component of pain. So more, you know, the, the thought provoking parts of pain. There are a huge amount of estrogen receptors in all of these pain perceiving areas of the brain. So estrogen and pain are really, really intricately linked. So it's not just that we have this level of estrogen that it drops and we have pain. It's not, it's not the levels of estrogen that seems to be important with regard to the sexes and sex differences in pain. It's the fluctuating levels that we have and that we are very much used to, for example, a certain um, experience with estrogen with regard to its anti nociceptive or anti-pain um, you know, um, properties. And then we have this fluctuation during the menstrual period. So it's more to do with the changes that we are exposed to every month as opposed to priming of the system or that estrogen itself is responsible for anti or pronociception. So studies, we, we carried out a very simplistic study in, in animals where we actually removed the ovaries um, and then the animals experience more pain, for example. A pain like a bowel pain, so it's like bloating kind of pain. And we replace this with estrogen then. You can put in a little pellet of estrogen, like HRT, for example. Um, and this actually then reduced down their pain. So, but they had a constant level of estrogen with the pellet, which is what HRT often is as well. But um, yeah, it's a lot more complex than just estrogen is our friend or not a friend, you know, this thing as well. So it's the, it's the rapid fluctuations that is associated with women having more pain. But again, as I've mentioned, women present at the clinic with much more syndromes than, than men potentially. We're also at higher risk for stress-related disorders, such as depression, anxiety, and so on. So again, this is to do with the fluctuating levels of hormones. And we know there's a really intricate relationship between how we cope with pain on a daily basis or a monthly basis um, and our stress coping, which, of course, is also really intertwined with our hormones. So it's not just the hormone levels that are associated with pain in females, but it's our stress and stress coping, coping abilities as well. And how you untangle that is uh Difficult, Fun. difficult. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we get there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But but it's fascinating to to think about it. And I think a lot of the time when a lot of this work is being done, you have to look at it one dimensional and understand one dimension before you yes. can add it to the full full thing. And just just for my own understanding, there. So you're saying that. Um, Estrogen kind of will help you resist pain a little bit, but as it fluctuates, it may yeah. drop and then you might be more receptive to pain. Yeah. And would that be, just for my, my own understanding here, would, would it be that maybe people with a higher higher level of estrogen in their body at a baseline would be more resistant to pain? But when that yeah. suddenly drops, you'd suddenly be more vulnerable to pain, even yeah. if it's just a pain that someone else might not feel. It just, yeah. because there's the sudden drop, yeah, You're potentially. Just yeah, potentially. Exactly. Because we just, you know, each person would have 
there's a range uh, course, that should be appropriate yeah. of the of estrogen and progesterone in our bodies. Um, and it's not, of course, just estrogen, but this is mm-hmm. one thing to kind of pick on. Um, and we've done studies in it. Um, and we'll lead to some of our newer studies in a second. That, sure. That's why I'm talking about estrogen. But yeah, absolutely. So there would be people with different levels that are more leading to changes in their pain perception. Yeah. And how, <laughs> I suppose the next natural question is, how is this how is this twisted and tangled by things like uh, birth control and yeah. stuff like that? Because yeah. there's so many yeah. different kinds of birth control. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone talking about how, oh, I got told my, I might feel less pain or I might do this. Like, yeah. is, is there a, is there an interaction there between people? Because that's uh, in reality, I think, well, it's more than 50% of uh, of women between 18 to 60 are on an, a contraceptive yeah. of some kind. And that must 100%. completely adjust the hormones going on 100%. there and the pain perception. Is there is there a contraceptive pain interaction there? There is, there is. And often, I suppose, initially, the, the pain contraceptive uh, interaction or, or, or prescribing contraceptive medication for pain would be around uh, period pain and also around the endometriosis pain. Um, there haven't been that many studies investigating other types of pain with regard to whether maintaining stable levels using a contraceptive pill is going to be beneficial. There was a very old study looking at pill for different types of pain beyond period pain and endometriosis, but the contraceptive pill comes with its own complications and risks as well. Uh, you know, risks for clotting, mood changes, weight gain. So maybe you know, people wouldn't want to unless they were they were really stretched to actually consume or or take on the contraceptive pill for different for pain outside period pain and endometriosis if they didn't have to. Yeah, yeah for Good question for sure. Yeah, no, it's just such a it's just such an interesting one now because I like I, yeah. I I I know loads of people who have gone on contraception just to regulate their periods, which yeah. in its essence relieves yeah. them from some stress and some pain as well. Yeah. Stress, exactly. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So it, it's just it's fascinating to think about. And I, I let's let's dig into what, what you are doing. And I, I think it's fascinating. And without stealing your thunder, it's looking at the gut microbiome pain connection and looking at different way what's in your gut the bacteria in your gut please just i'm i'm that's all i'm gonna say you you know my research well i I absolutely (laughs) you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I do, but I'd love to hear you say it. I'd love it. So, introduce to me. What, what are you up to? Yeah, so no bother, no bother. I I suppose I've progressed and 
was starting at the start where I was given an interview a little while ago as well. And um, we were all guilty of the fact that it was easier to do research on men and male animals for such a long time uh, because of the fluctuating hormones. But now um, it's women's time. So um, we do need to take notice of the impact um, of stress of different pain syndromes in women, but also a very important part of my research is looking at the gut microbiome, um, which is the microorganisms within your gut. We have a huge amount of microorganisms within our within the distal end of our gut, so the lower end of our gut, that we know now are really important with regard to our health and also implication in disease as well. So we probably, a lot of individuals maybe um, would be conscious of their diet now, their exercise, but also consuming these fermented foods and probiotics that are on our shelves in our supermarket as well, and also in our pharmacies. So maintaining a healthy gut um, microorganism environment is really key to our well-being. And that just doesn't include our gut um, and our systemic system, which is your, your body itself, but also your brain as well. And we know that elements of our brain are, of course, are hugely important for allowing us to perceive pain. So I've carried out a, a number of studies investigating the role or I suppose how we can manipulate the gut microbiome. So the bacteria within our bowel, can we put certain bacteria in there um, that have anti-inflammatory properties, anti-pain properties? And do they actually work? Can they actually get to the source of the pain and can they actually interact with the brain with regard to production of metabolites and neurotransmitters that have a real impact on our central nervous system? So um, I've moved quite a bit of my research now into women's health and I have a number of projects ongoing with regard to endometriosis and looking at how um, flare ups during the um the the not during the monthly cycle as well with endometriosis, but also during a woman's uh, life are associated with different dietary changes. And endometriosis is, is again, a very difficult disease to treat. It's very debilitating, um, but it's completely confined to, to women. Um, so I've invest, started investigating that. And I have a PhD student with my lovely group in Edinburgh looking at that. Um, but our latest study out of Cork here looked at um, gender-related differences with regard to which bacteria in your bowel were associated with greater pain perception and lower pain thresholds uh, between women and men. So um, what we discovered basically was we brought women in three times over their menstrual cycle, so three times over the, the month, um, in order to capture them at different, capture them, um, in order to take samples from these women and data from these women when their hormonal levels were different. We brought men in once only to the clinic and we assessed their pain. You can attach a little electrode to the tibial nerve at the distal end of the leg and you can stimulate this nerve to induce pain. So we looked at pain perception, which is how long a person can tolerate uh, pain um, so pain tolerance so they say please stop you know stimulating that nerve now it's unfinished or else threshold which is the first time they say okay I feel a little bit of pain now that's okay let's progress we also looked at um, blood samples so we took blood samples as well at the different time points we looked at whether their gut was healthy we looked at inflammation and we also looked at stress hormones as well but really key to this study and um, and key to some of, some of the newer investigations going forward was the collection of fecal samples. So that is actually a poo sample that somebody will give to you on the morning or the day before your assessments. Because actually the bacteria within our gut 
and within our poo sample can change over the day. So what we try to do is try to get, not always possible, try to get a fecal sample, so a poo sample, the day we're doing the pain assessment and the blood assessments and so on. But um, if it was the night before, we also accept them. So from that poo sample, we were able to analyse all of the different microbes that were available within that sample, in that individual. So across the different individuals with regard to our women and our men. And what we discovered was, which wasn't brand new, was that women had a lower threshold and a lower tolerance to our pain stimulation um, to men over the stage of the month. We also saw key changes with regard to different microbes at these different stages for women during the menstrual cycle as well. And what we did was we've shown there are certain bacteria such as colonella, for example, which have been associated with arthritis and inflammation. And some bacteria such as this were greater or so were, were, were seen at greater levels when the pain was greater or when the threshold was lower in women. So we show we have basically show that there's gut microbe differences within the bowels of women compared to men that may be driving some of this pain perception and pain sensitivity and risk for pain syndromes in women. I find all of this extremely fascinating, looking at just how widespread the impact of the gut microbiome connection with the brain is for so many things. But I I, I personally, I think that the most fascinating part about it is how approachable it could be in future to look at disorders and say, you could do, do dietary measures you could you could do fecal transplants and things like that and 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 this is something where this research is going like like there is do you think there is potential in future for people to actually get like i'm not talking now but in the future to get very individualized and very precise recommendations for let's say dietary changes to target these disorders 100%. Um, And one area that we're really trying to to get to the crux of that is this post-operative pain. So we carried out a study here looking at post-operative pain as well. And we basically took a fecal sample before surgery um, and then followed people up. It was women. It was a subset of women that were going through breast cancer surgery. And three months afterwards, there was a subset of women that had more pain, this post-operative pain, three months after surgery than the other subset. And there was definitive microbiome changes within um, the gut microbiome or the gut, the gut sample or the fecal sample provided before surgery. So even a sample before surgery was indicative or could potentially be indicative of who will develop this pain even three months after surgery. Now, as I mentioned, the gut microbes are extremely important for overall well-being and health, but they also produce substances such as serotonin, noradrenaline, uh, melatonin and short chain fatty acids that we know impact on your central nervous system and also on your pain pathways. So if we think about it, the microbes that we want in our gut are those that are going to be beneficial for our body and our brain. So what we try to do is devise or advise, you know, okay, potentially three months, if you can, before your surgery, try to eat healthily that would promote these good bacteria. So it's very easy nowadays even to Google, you know, healthy diet for gut microbiome or or read a a book um, that will will, uh, tell you exactly what to eat. Just lots of fibres anti-inflammatory foods, lots of colourful foods, um, lots and lots of water, and then try to exercise as well. So fibre really is the key and has been shown to be the key 
to allowing for these good anti-inflammatory, anti-nociceptor bacteria to thrive. But you would need, if you are potentially facing a surgery, for example, or some sort of stressful event in your life, I think a three-month lead-in would be would be probably the best if you possibly could. So even dietary changes, we don't need to develop necessarily, you know, fantastic interventions, but maybe for those type of individuals that might be slightly more prone before surgery to get prepared for surgery, which isn't that unusual to say you should prepare yourself for your surgery, you should make sure you have enough sleep and so on. Um, you know, let's have dietary changes before surgery as well. And then maybe for the more complex pain syndromes that would have developed in an individual, then we could have targeted solutions to reduce those individuals' pain. That's and it's it's so interesting thinking about that because I'm sure there's also a connection there with antibiotics as well, yeah. which are would also be given post surgery very often, mm-hmm. depending on the surgery to help make sure that the wounds heal, but also would wipe out your gut uh, yeah. for a lot of things. And um, I, I I have heard like oh to take probiotics afterwards, but whether we're there to a degree where you can take the right probiotics or that they're specific enough for you, probably not. And no. I, I guess that must be very much so the next step. But one thing that which is also which catches my eye with this would be there's so many sex differences and things like irritable bowel disorders as well. Yeah. And yeah. if we're a lot of that is very pain and stress related. And since there are such huge sex differences, there must be a lot of like, hope that maybe you could adjust your gut microbiome as well would there be to help treat that would that be something else that's going on yeah absolutely um now there is quite a decent amount of research in in irritable bowel syndrome um it's definitely more prevalent in women there have been probiotic trials in ibs or for ibs um individuals as well as suffering individuals they haven't been hugely successful um but I do think like many, uh, you know, symptoms or syndromes, um, there could be obviously subsets. There's a, a subsets within IBS anyway. So there's diarrhea persistent or else constipation uh, predominant um, or alternating between the two. But it could be manifestation of the disease. So IBS is a disease that basically where you have abdominal pain, change in bowel habit, but there's also often an exaggerated stress response in these individuals. So it could be that the certain individuals have a predisposition to stress that induces change in the bowel. Or there could be another subset of IBS patients where they had a GI infection, for example, a gastrointestinal infection, and that initiated the irritable bowel syndrome um, symptoms following it. And then there's a cyclical relationship, but it could be the origin of the disease that actually needs to be tackled for these much more, I suppose, um, definitive interventions or else target both of them, target the brain and target the gut. And we know that certain bacteria are well able to do that. Certain stress reducing bacteria, pain, anti-pain producing bacteria. So we could develop a, a, a specific intervention that was able to have stress reducing properties, but also anti-nociceptive properties as well. So a combination of this type of therapy also understanding that there are subsets of individuals within every syndrome potentially that have a different origin for the disease needs to be tackled if we're going to go forward with precision interventions. That's amazing. And that's so, so, so fascinating. <laughs> no, it's so, 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 fa- yeah, it, well, it's fascinating and unbelievably complex. 
and and I I wish you the best of luck in uh, untangling that because (laughs) there I feel like often there are ropes going in every direction and they're tangling with each other and even in designing these studies it's so so difficult to keep it all in in sight and keep everything make sure you're looking at all of the appropriate things and then also designing many of these studies to actually be doable by people as well so it's 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 extremely complicated (laughs) i want to i just so thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about that and i will absolutely be following up on uh, on this (laughs) and seeing what else you do because i'm i'm so so interested in in all of this uh the women's health research and looking specifically at these sex difference so i will absolutely be talking to you in the future thank you so much for coming that would be great listen thank you so much andrew it was great fun brilliant stuff thank you This is the end of the podcast We hope you enjoyed your time If you're feeling generous And you're not completely skinned Why don't you give us some of your money Join our Patreon Join our Patreon Join our Patreon. Join our Patreon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.